May the words of my mouth, the thoughts and meditation of all our hearts be acceptable to God, who is our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Thank you very much for your... Can you hear me? Thank you for your kind invitation to join you this morning. I think everyone has been given the similar uh, questions uh, to speak about, so I think that I would address it from the perspective of my testimony, my testimony. So that's basically what I want to share with you this morning. I normally say that I had the good fortune of being born and brought up in Montego Bay, Jamaica. And I say that because growing up as a young child, when I looked around me, I could see images of myself in all walks of life. So I grew up knowing that it was possible to become whatever I wanted to be. I also, I, I, I refer to myself as a, a cradle Anglican. And by that I mean I was baptized when I was just under four months old. So I've always been in the church, so to speak. I've never left it. And it was the Anglican Church in Jamaica, way back then, was called the Church of England in Jamaica until the Jamaican bishop said, why on earth is this the Church of England in Jamaica? It ought to be the Church of Jamaica. So we're Anglicans, but we are not referred to as the Church of England in Jamaica. We had a system whereby we have a main parish church, and that main parish church would normally start its service at 7.30 a.m. in the mornings on a Sunday. And at Christmas and Easter, it would be moved to either 5.30 or 6.30 a.m. And you had to be on time to get a seat because we were all going to get there somehow. But then it also had small, what we call, mission churches. So you would have a, a, a 7.30 service, then another mission church somewhere else at 9.30, and then another one somewhere else at 11. And then later on in the evening there could be even a song. We were very fortunate that I grew up in one of the little mission churches because it meant that we did not have a priest every week. So this is something to celebrate. <laughs> it is something to celebrate because what it meant, it meant that uh, the, we had a very wise old lay reader and he had the wisdom not to hog the show every week but actually to get the young people involved. So from a very early age, I was reading in church, leading prayers in church, leading music in church. Absolutely wonderful. 
I preached my first sermon when I was 14 years old. And I can still remember climbing up into the pulpit in the main parish church this was too. And I remember the text, Psalm 8. What is man that thou art mindful of him? So it was way back then that I felt my own call to ministry. My own call to ministry. And when we were children, when we were little, and I can see a few, perhaps one or two little ones here, younger ones here still. When we were children, if we were playing too loudly outside, my aunts who we grew up with, one of, there were two aunts, one of them would call out, Rosa Marie, you're making too much noise. Come inside and read the Bible. <laughs> so we were called in and we had to read the Bible. And it was usually the psalm that she wanted read. She could read, but perhaps she wasn't as fluent in her reading. And so we would read chapters and chapters repeatedly of the Psalms. So the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Amazing. Psalm 24. The, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And, and of course Psalm 51 which we use during Lent. Creating me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So I, now, I have fallen in love with the Psalms, those books that I read and chapters that I read repeatedly, they have become part of my faith experience, as it were, that I can draw on when I am walking down the road without delving into my bag to get a Bible out or to get the Google out to find the words. I can hear myself repeating it as I go along. I offered for the church at a very early age when I left school, when I left high school. I worked for a year and during that year I offered. Now I knew that there were no women in leadership within the priestly ministry. And so I had a conversation with God. And my conversation with God was, I believe that you have called me. So I will be faithful to that call and leave you to work it out. <laughs> now, of course, it took the church years to work it out. <laughs> so when it did happen, I remember saying, at last, the church has listened to the Holy Spirit. But that was not easier in many ways because when I then offered, when I came back to the UK to live and offered myself for ordination training as a deacon, I was told that I needed to be at home looking after my husband and my daughter, who was then a toddler. My response to the church then was that my husband was perfectly capable of looking after himself. And that if I hadn't thought about how I would manage with my daughter, I would not uh, have offered myself. Nothing happened. And then eventually, when it did begin to move again, I was now pregnant with number two. And I decided that I'm not going to tell them 
Because if they said what they said way back then, what are they going to say now with two children? But of course you know that that's not something you can hide. <laughs> and so by the time they called me in again for another interview, I was now two weeks away from delivery. <laughs> so I walked in and I said, I hope your midwifery skills are intact. Now, they were brilliant. It was a guy who I saw at this point, and he didn't ask me what I was going to do and how I was going to manage. But then my husband, who was in ordination training, he became ordained, and we now had to move diocese. So we moved diocese, so the whole process started all over again. And then it happened. It went through, I was ordained as a deacon, and the place where I was being sent or invited to by the vicar to serve, I learned that the church did not want me. The church did not want me because they were coming to it from a headship, and I suspect that some of you will know what I mean by that, because within the Church of England, there is such a wide spectrum of beliefs and practices. So I still felt that this was the right place to go, and so I accepted the vicar's uh, uh, invitation. The PCC resigned on block, but throughout my time there, I never once engaged with them as to why it was right for women to be ordained. I just knew that God had called me and that all I needed to do was to be faithful in that calling. I did do something wrong there when I was there with them. And to be honest with you, I don't know with my hand on my heart whether I wouldn't do it again. And this is what I did, which I, looking back, I think was wrong. I had to have knee surgery a few weeks in, and I remember getting my husband the following day, it was a day surgery, so I couldn't drive, I wasn't allowed to drive for two weeks, but I asked my husband, who was in a neighboring parish, to drive me in to the parish, and I hobbled around on walking sticks, because I remember thinking, I'm not going to let them say, see, I told you, she's a woman, she can't hack it. Or, see, she's black. She can't hack it. I don't know, all these years later, whether I wouldn't do exactly the same thing again. And that saddens me. So, I had an amazing time there. I loved every minute of it. Uh, the church grew. The vicar became ill. I think uh, within the year of me being there, I had to be off work, and I ran the parish. <laughs> but, <laughs> I even got them to change the time of the worship from 9.30 to 10.30, which is a big deal. You know how precious we are about the times of service. A big deal. But it happened. 
And, and I'll tell you now that if you were to go back there and ask them about my ministry amongst them, they will tell you too that we all had an amazing time. Two weeks before I was ordained to the priesthood, one of them came up to me and said, I want you to know that I was one of those who had resigned from the PCC, but I now believe that God has called you and that God has called women to lead in ministry. So ministry was for me and is still is about serving. It is about walking alongside others and sharing the good news, but not just talking about the good news, but actually living the good news. And then we moved to Hackney. And Hackney was interesting because it was actually my husband who was supposed to uh, look at the parish. It was two churches combined as a united benefice, was going to be anyway made into a united benefice. And one of them had no pastoring at the east end. The carpets were all mangled. The, uh, the galleries were heaped with black bin bags from Jumbo Sale. So every time they were known as the Jumbo Sale Church. So every time they had done a Jumbo Sale on Saturday, they would simply throw the leftovers on the top, weighing down. My husband, on the way home from the interview, said to me, darling, I don't think I could do this. This is far too challenging. And I can still remember saying to him, I would love the challenge if they would have me. So I wrote to the bishop and I said, my husband does not think that this is right for him. So I would love it if you would have me. And, and that's how I ended up there. But interestingly, one of the church said yes, enthusiastically. <laughs> the other one said no. And they said no, not because of headship, but the other end of the spectrum. They were, uh, or their priest who was there before them was from the very high church tradition, and of course a woman cannot represent Christ. So that was interesting too. Challenging, interesting, but again because I felt called to be there, I knew that God would make a way. Life was difficult. But I drew on my faith. I would walk around that parish singing. And one of my favorite songs that I used to sing as I walked around the parish was this. Jesus, the effects all around me every day. Jesus, I want you to protect me as I travel along life's way. Lord, I know you can. Lord, I know you will. Fight the battle if I keep still. Be a fence all around me every day. I used to sing that. And of course they say to, to sing is to pray twice. God saw me through that. And again I had what I describe as the best years of my life. I ended up spending 16 and a half years there from a congregation of, over, uh, of just 12 to 15 people worshiping that particular church grew to over 100. The other church also grew. A ministry that was God-centered, a ministry where the people of God 
the people of God grew, not just in their numbers, but also deepening in their faith. And then it was time to move on. It was time to move on, and uh, I was told that there was a job going at Westminster Abbey. And I remembered saying to my husband at the time when he told me, I was in Jamaica, when he phoned me with that news, and I said to him, I want real work. And by that, what I meant, I wanted something as gritty as I had in Hackney. Because it happened me every day. At the end of each day, I felt that I had made a difference. I felt that one had contributed something to the life of the people in that place. And so I thought nothing else of it when I came back. The two priests, independent of each other, said to me, Rose, have you seen the job going at the Abbey? We think you should apply for it. And I remember thinking how strange, but that if these two people who I knew were people of prayer were suggesting that I look at it, that maybe God was saying something to me. So I looked at it, I called it up on the internet, I looked at it, and I saw where it said, Canon at the Abbey, Rector of St. Margaret's, and Chaplain to the Speaker of the House of Commons. I got very excited about that thing. I got excited about it because I have always believed very passionately that faith should be in the public square. I do not believe that faith is a coat, a garment, we put on when the weather is bad, and then we can get rid of it. We don't need it during the summer. Faith is who we are. And if it is who we are, then it should be with us wherever we are, wherever we go. And I also knew that the British, and I can afford to say this as a Jamaican, I also knew that the British did not talk about their faith. It is very private. So you discover a new pub, you have been to see a new film, you have uh, uh, been to a new restaurant, and you are very happy and excited to tell your friends about it, and even to invite them along to it. But if you've had an experience with God, somehow, oh no, very private. We don't even tell our partners. We don't tell our children. We keep it to ourselves. So I wanted to be in that public space where I could encourage. I'm not there to proselytize anyone. I'm there to encourage those of faith to live out their faith where they are, to be comfortable with their faith. And... Uh, to ensure that their faith informs the things that they do, because that is what it ought to do. That is what our faith ought to do. We ought to be true to who we are as the people of God. Some of you may remember at the time there was a big hullabaloo. Uh, the Abbey said no to me, and the Parliament said yes. So the job was split. The job was split. The Daily Mail had two columns to talk about this issue. And the column, the headline column for my colleague who got the other half of the job was the Oxford graduate. The headline column for me, no reference to the fact that I too had a degree, 
The headline column was, The Girl from Montego Bay. I did meet the person who wrote it a few years down the line, and I said to him, what you don't know is that you have given me the title for my autobiography. <laughs> so when I write it, it will be The Girl from Montego Bay. So nine years down the line, I am still chaplain to the Speaker of the House of Commons. My role there is to pray every day when the House sits. I lead them in prayers. I pray we have a beautiful chapel there. I lead services of Holy Communion during the week. Mostly two. Once per month we have an additional one. So it's three then. Followed by a breakfast meeting with speakers discussing faith matters. On weekends, Fridays or Saturdays, I do weddings and baptisms of members and staff. Either of themselves or their children or their grandchildren. And generally pastoral work that you would normally do in a parish. My ministry is not just to members of both houses. I don't do prayers in the Lord, by the way, because they have the bishops who sit there. So the bishops, they take turns leading prayers. But uh, I do the weddings and the baptisms and the pastoral care generally throughout. What has sustained me throughout my life? I actually like to say that I did not learn my theology at theological college, but that I learned my theology as a child way back in Montego Bay, where there I saw the adults, the elderly folks around me, who were faithful. And I mean faithful. They had very little. They were poor, but time and time again, you would hear them say, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. <laughs> <laughs> and he does. They have nothing. But they were also joyful. In God they trust. In God I trust. They trusted him. So that was where I learned my theology. I learned to trust in God. I learned to be faithful to God. And equally important, I learned to share my faith and never to be hesitant, never to be private about my faith. Because as far as I'm concerned, if it is good news, then I want that good news to be shared. I shan't keep it to myself. 